Welcome to episode six of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H, and you're not. N. It's the Foodcast with the Not Ready to Podcast This Week players. Here's your host, Davey H. It's true, I've been whining about how busy I am, and the busyness continues at least for the next couple weeks. I've been studying for my personal training certification, and I had my modeling debut. But those are both events that are behind me. I got my certification, and Fashion Rock's autism fashion show is over. But I'm still getting ready for my appearances at Dean's Natural Food Markets, where I'll be doing a mindful eating workshop. I'll be in their Basking Ridge store at 6 p.m., on September 20th and in their Ocean, New Jersey store on September 22nd, also at 6 p.m. And in the meantime, I'm collecting some great interviews and stunts to be included in future versions of the Foodcast, but I'm still in that collection process. There's editing and some other steps I need to do to make it the entertaining and educational content that you're used to. And because of that, this episode is something that I'm slapping together in the last minute. Actually, I was going to skip this week, but then I was confronted by news headlines of hijinks being done that reminded me of why you and I are not in. So I say, okay, that'll be the focus of this episode. You are not in. And I go ahead and I record the pre-roll of, I am Davy H and you are not in. And then that made me think of Chevy Chase from Saturday Night Live back when that show was kind of funny. If you don't know what I'm talking about, here's a reminder. Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. And that explains the Saturday Night Live-oriented opening of this episode. And as my comedy instructor would have told me, if I actually was ever instructed in how to be funny, but obviously I haven't been, if you have to explain a joke, it's probably not a good one. So rather than me pretending to be funny... Let's let real life do it for us as we look at why you are not Anne. Last Monday, September 12, 2016, the American Medical Association's Journal of Internal Medicine published the results of an analysis of 50-year-old correspondence between researchers at Harvard, motto, Veritas, but not the whole Veritas, and the Sugar Association, motto, you're not fat, you're big boned, which showed that the Sugar Association paid for a study that minimized sugar's role in heart disease and emphasized fat's role. At the time, science was pointing to both being a factor, but the Sugar Association had its act together more than the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the Dairy Council, Pork the Other White Meat People, and the Bacon and Ranch Flavored Chocolate Covered Cheese Puff Society. The Sugar Association put their money where your mouth is, and for the next 50 years we've been eating nothing but low-fat Skittles. To this day, it's a fact that eating too much of anything causes heart disease. It doesn't matter if it's fat, carbs, or protein. But between the healthcare industrial complex and the healthy lifestyle militia, you're being told to eat a crap load of one of these nutrients because the others will kill you. Meanwhile, we're eating the same excessive number of calories, so nothing really changes. But I digress. That's what I do, because I'm Davey H, and you're not in. For the new kids on the block, and no, that's not a reference to the fellows who gave us the break music, 
When I say you are not N, I'm referring to standard parts of all scientific research. N represents how many subjects were in a study. So if you read a study and find that N equals 50, that means that whatever they were testing was performed on 50 people or 50 mice, 50 rats, 50 wombats, 50 rathtars, what have you. And because you were probably not a member of that esteemed population of N, you can guess how the study's results apply to you, but you can't be sure. There are a bunch of reasons for that. Those reasons have to do with things that make you unique, as well as how the study was executed. For the rest of this episode of the Foodcast, I quickly rattle off some of the problems with nutrition research. If you want to skip to the conclusion, nutrition research is flawed, but it's the best we got when it comes to deciding what to eat for optimal health. Expect inconsistencies in what you hear, and stay tuned to resources like the Foodcast to cut through the crap and apply the concepts in a way that works for you. Now on to my rant. 10 Things I Hate About Research Number 1. It's nearly impossible to find funding that doesn't provide at least the appearance of bias. This caper between the Sugar Association and Harvard isn't an isolated incident. For a bunch of reasons, money to perform most kinds of scientific research is increasingly scarce. This leaves scientists beholden to commercial interests, who at best are looking for research to find positive qualities, and at worst are looking to sweep negatives under the rug. Marion Nestle, professor of nutrition at NYU, she's no relation to the big food company of the same name, but she is one of my idols, monitors industry-sponsored research and tallies how many results and conclusions that are favorable to the sponsor. By her calculations, over 90% of industry-sponsored research is flattering to the folks who paid for it. Frankly, I'm surprised it's not closer to 100%. Not because the sponsors are right, but because of the natural inclination for repeat business. Do you think McDonald's would pay for additional studies if Brazilian researchers didn't conclude that fast food meals are at least as nutritious as the beans, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and unprocessed meats that Brazilians typically eat? Do you think that's true? Dr. Nestle does a much better job of parsing this subject than I ever could, and I include a link to her food politics blog in the show notes. The point is, Whether it's food, pharmaceuticals, supplements, medical devices, or shake weights, the legitimate health claims you hear are probably paid for by the people who are trying to sell you their tchotchkes. The second thing I hate about research is when the study says one thing and the headlines say something else. Episode 3 of the Foodcast showed this when it debunked a headline that said that bacon causes cellular jet lag. The study didn't prove that. It had no intention of proving that. I also did a recent blog post about black soybean tea, it was referencing headline claims that a new study proves that drinking the tea melts away the fat. study neither tested nor demonstrated that. The big food companies love to use this to their advantage when the headline overreach is in their favor. So I find it funny that when I go back to the Harvard study on carbs versus fat, the one that started this rant, that the Sugar Association responded as follows, and I quote, Most concerning is the growing use of headline-baiting articles to trump quality scientific research. We're disappointed to see a journal of JAMA's stature being drawn into this trend. They then go on to quote a report from the FDA that says, again I quote, Randomized controlled trials examining cardiovascular risk factors, body weight, inflammatory markers, and risk factors for type 2 diabetes demonstrate no effects of increased sugar intake. If I go back to the source report that includes that quote, I see that it's pulled from a context that says, 
although there's no demonstrable effect on all those horrible and dangerous health conditions, it's still accepted that excessive added sugar is detrimental to general health. In other words, the FDA report didn't say what the Sugar Association claims. Pot, meat kettle. On to the third thing. Long-term randomized control trials are nearly impossible to do. I won't bore you with the detail of what's needed to execute a well-designed study that discovers the long-term effects of any food choice. But to really do it in nutrition, it would involve subjecting a very large number of people to years of isolation under highly controlled conditions with boring meals and very limited variety. They'd also have to eliminate hundreds of confounding habits that subjects all probably find enjoyable. And anyone placed in the control group would possibly be exposed to unhealthy and even dangerous conditions. Who's going to sign up for that experiment? Who's going to pay for it? Probably not even the Sugar Association. Number four, study design's really hard to dissect. Was the study done on people or other creatures? Was it done on cells or the whole animal? Was it a case report, a cross-sectional survey, a case control study, a cohort study, a quasi-experiment, a random control trial, or a meta-analysis? Did all subjects complete the experiment? Were subjects given whole foods or isolated extracts? How were the control subjects managed? How did the investigators eliminate confounding variables? All these things matter and they impact the strength of the study's conclusion. Do you ever hear about these? Of course not. I almost fell asleep listing them all. Which brings me to number five. Peer review is broken. We're not supposed to have to worry about any of those questions in number four, because published studies are generally peer-reviewed. They get people with no prior knowledge of the study, but expertise on the topic, to analyze the design and results and to assess whether the conclusion has merit but the niches in which these experts operate are pretty small. If they don't know the gal or guy, they know a gal or guy who knows the gal or guy. Also, the peer review process is no fun. It gets contentious. Yes, nerd fights. And it's volunteer work. Scientists who have better offers, such as their own research, exotic lecture tours, or unlimited pasta night at the Olive Garden, almost always opt for those. That leaves the less experienced and qualified to do peer reviews. But even if peer reviews were perfect, we'd still have a problem with paywalls and junk journals. And that's number six. There are three types of scientific journals. There are legitimate ones that hide behind paywalls. These have research that's on the up and up, but you have to be willing to pay to actually read them. That's a problem for a poor schlub like me who wants to parse the study design and tie it to the conclusion but can't because I only have access to the abstract and I don't have enough dough to get to the fully published version. Second, there are open scientific journals that don't hide behind paywalls, but still have legit research in them. A great example is the Public Library of Science, or PLOS One. Hopefully PLOS One will do to paywall-based science journals what Wikipedia did to Encyclopedia Britannica. Then, there are so-called predatory publishers. These sleazebags have a pay-to-play model. Give us your credit card and we'll publish your crap science in fake journals with fancy names like the International Journal of Food and Nutritional Science and International Journal of Herbal Medicine. These are real journals with fake science. Fortunately, there are people out there like this one guy, Jeffrey Beal, who compiles a list of all the predatory publishers and publishes it every year. I put a link to this list on the show notes. Problem number seven is the art of cherry picking. 
The best example of cherry picking is the great debate of low-fat diets versus low-carb diets. It's a fight that's been going on ever since Marco Polo discovered macaroni and cheese at the neighborhood pool snack bar, or wherever it was that he discovered pasta. Each side in the debate promotes the studies that support their point of view and ignores the studies that weaken it. What they all fail to acknowledge is that the real problem isn't too many carbs or too much fat, it's too much crap combined with you are not in. People who reduce overall consumption of ultra-processed foods and still eat the foods they love are the ones who end up being healthier and happier in the long run. Problem number eight. Nutritional dogma trumps research every time. Let me repeat what I said at the end of this description for problem number seven. People who reduce overall consumption of ultra-processed foods and still eat the foods they love are the ones who end up being healthier and happier in the long run. The problem isn't fat and it isn't sugar. The problem is how much of each we eat. Science consistently demonstrates this. But through a confluence of influence, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans chose to pick on fat in the 1980s, and to this day, those guidelines still demonize fat. They've lightened up a little, but the warnings are still there. The next version of the guidelines is due in about three years. We'll see how far they move the needle then. Which brings me to number 10, you are not N. No matter how well research proves hypothesis X, there's no guarantee that hypothesis X applies to you. Look, although I just gave 10 reasons why I hate wellness research, my real relationship is love-hate. The research isn't perfect, but it's the best tool we have. Just remember that like most tools, it's real easy to turn them into a weapon when they're put in the wrong hands. Thank you for enduring another episode of the Foodcast. Like the skits on Saturday Night Live, the last few lines just kind of fade off into obscurity. They're not really funny, and you don't really know what happened in the end. We have some great stuff coming, though, including National Biscuit Month and Schlumpia, the best ethnic food mashup you never heard of. And with any luck, I'll include the best segments of my Mindful Eating Workshop from Dean's. Just for those of you who don't have the great pleasure of traveling to Basking Ridge, New Jersey, I got your back. Please remember to review the Karma Sense Foodcast on iTunes and submit your questions and topic ideas to me at karmasensewellness.com through any of the social media outlets that you can link to on karmasensewellness.com or by shooting me an email at davyh at karmasensewellness.com. Until next time, remember what your old pal Bozo always says. What does your old pal Bozo always say? Just keep laughing. Yeah. <laughs>